0: We welcome you to the tabernacle podcast brought to you by the tabernacle baptist church in hickory north carolina if you'd like to learn more about tabernacle you can visit our website tabernaclebaptistchurch.com you can find other sermons like this one on apple podcast youtube and sermon audio it is our prayer that god has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart i'd like for you to take your bible and go with me to first corinthians chapter number 11 First Corinthians chapter number 11, there was a fellow in our church when I was a kid growing up, and he was famous for this line, it has been requested that I sing. <laughs> Some of the more cynical members of the congregation always, wanted, always wondered who it was that made the request. And one person in earshot of me said one time, I think I know who it was. I think he is the one who requested that he sing. Yes, a lot of memories growing up in church, and uh, I'm grateful for that. It has not been requested that I sing tonight. Isn't that a blessing? First Corinthians chapter number 11, we'll look together in verse 17. Uh, The Bible says this, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you, when ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened to the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come let's pray together father we thank you for your word and we pray that as we come together around your word this evening that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher Uh, Lord as you said in your word the comforter will teach us all things so open to us the scriptures help us to hear your voice Lord Jesus Help us to be obedient to you. Give us understanding. Help us to respond. Help us to honor you. And may your word not return void. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled this message, Fellowship and Communion. Fellowship and Communion. And a a subtitle, if you'd like it, is The Love Feast and the Lord's Supper. The Love Feast... And the Lord's Supper Paul is writing here to correct a problem uh, with the corporate worship of the church at Corinth that began here in chapter number 11 in verse 2 we looked at that last time the order of their worship and the roles of men and women now he addresses another problem in their corporate worship and that is their observance of the Lord's Supper They were also gathering for feasts, for meals, common meals referred to as love feasts. In Jude verse 12, the Bible refers to these as feasts of charity or feasts of love. And then Peter also refers to these feasts in 2 Peter chapter number 2 and verse number 13 and warns much as Paul did here in 1 Corinthians of uh, some of the some of the uh, practices that may have developed as a result of the carnality of some or the fact that there were non-believers who were attending these feasts. So Paul is concerned about two things. He's concerned about the love feast and the way it was being celebrated and the Lord's Supper and the way in which it was being observed. Apparently it had become a traditional practice Uh, for the church to gather and have uh, a worship service and then a love feast, a meal together, and then afterwards to observe the Lord's Supper. And uh, as Paul addresses these things, he uh, brings some attention to some of the problems and then corrects them and helps them to understand why it is that they should do things a certain way. So I'll just give you three points tonight. And uh, as, as you know, that's typically my routine, right? Number one, here here they are. Number one, the problem addressed. The problem addressed. Number two, the purpose explained. And then thirdly, the preparation required. So let's look at the first point, that is the problem addressed. Uh, Paul wants to correct something, so he begins by addressing the problem. Now, let's begin again in verse 17. Now, in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. Remember, he began this section in verse 2 with a word of commendation. Uh, And then, of course, he began to correct them for uh, their uh, improper, uh, improper use or improper application of the roles of men and women in the church. But there's no word of commendation here. He says, I praise you not that you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. How would you like to hear that? (laughs) Uh, Our meetings, our observance of the Lord's Supper, and uh, this was not helping us. It was not uh, making us better. Uh, It was not accomplishing good, but it was causing problems. So it was a very serious thing, was it not? And it needed to be addressed. It needed to be corrected. And so Paul uh, continues to address it. He says, for first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. Now, we know from our study of this book, uh, in the opening chapter, Paul addresses the subject of the divisions that existed in the church. Those divisions were, 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 were were factions that were created by the loyalty that certain people had for individual leaders that had come and ministered to the church also there was divisions concerning uh, the spiritual giftedness of of the members of the church and and their abilities to minister to others in the church so there were uh, carnal attitudes divisions among them and paul here is calling out the divisions that were evident in the corporate worship of the church and so he says he says here that there are divisions among you and i partly believe it the word divisions means schism. There are schisms among you. And then he says, there must be also heresies among you. Heresies. Now, this word heresies uh, is speaking of not what we might customarily think, someone teaching a false doctrine who has departed into heresy or heretical thinking. This word heresies in, in this context refers to the fact uh, that the people uh, in the observance of these meals and in their fellowship one with another were, coming, were becoming uh, a quite the social snob. Let me, let me explain it the way Warren Wiersbe explains it here. He summarizes the problem as this. The love feast was part of the worship at Corinth, but some serious abuses crept in. As a result, the love feasts were doing more harm than good to the church. For one thing, there were various cliques in the church, and people ate with their own crowd instead of fellowshipping with the entire church family. John MacArthur adds this, The love feasts were congregational meals which stressed fellowship, affection, and mutual caring among the believers. They were closed with the observance of communion. The meal was connected to the bread and the cup remembrance, and it became a flagrant desecration of the holy ordinance. So their improper conduct regarding the love feast that they connected to the Lord's Supper caused a a schism and a desecration of the body of Christ and the observance of the Lord's Supper. And so this schism was along the lines of social groups social snobbery it was the fact that those who were wealthy would bring their food and those who were wealthy would bring uh, food in abundance they would bring uh, food um, you know that uh, was not the most affordable to purchase and perhaps not the most available and they would bring that food and they would share that food maybe with their friends those who were in their immediate circle Now, the church was a diverse church. There were wealthy people in the church, and and no doubt there were middle-income people in the church, and then there were poorer people in the church. Remember, uh, Corinth was was a city that was known for slavery. There were more slaves in Corinth than nearly any place in the world in that time. There were those who had been saved out of the uh, out of the temple prostitution that was taking place there in, in the worship of the false gods of Corinth. And so there's no doubt that there were those who were socially deemed socially unacceptable and those who were poor. And they were not able to bring the type of food that the wealthier members of the church were able to bring to the meal. Instead of being open and and included by the wealthier members, instead of all of the food being shared, what was happening is that certain groups were forming within the church and only certain people could eat with certain people, and often the poor and the neglected were left out. And so those who were wealthy ate lavishly in front of those who were poor who could only eat meager fare. Paul also expresses the fact that others became drunken And so we see what we have read earlier concerning the feasts that were made unto the false gods of Corinth, that practice of those feasts where people would gather and eat meat that was to be sacrificed to the idols, uh, where where the people would gather and, and, and participate in a custom of revelry, had bled over now into the atmosphere of the love feasts of the church, the culture of the world coming into the culture of the church. And Paul sees the problem, and he is addressing the problem so that he may correct the problem. He goes on to say here uh, in verse uh, number 19, for there must be also heresies. Again, that word heresies, as I mentioned a moment ago, deals with factions among you, that that they which are approved may be manifest among you. In other words, the people who practice this are not the kind of people that need to be in a position of leadership in the church. They are revealing their character and their heart by the way that they participate in this supper. And these people are not to be esteemed as leaders or approved Rather, the people who are humble, the people who are willing to share, the people who exhibit the true spirit of the love feast, these are the people that should be approved in the congregation. They should be the people that have a role or responsibility of leadership. Now, remember, the church is in her infant stages, and the devil is seeking to get in and sow the seeds of discord and false doctrine and the the church is filled with people. Remember, the Lord gave the parable of the wheat and the tares to tell us that Satan comes in and he sows the tares among the wheat. So Paul is warning them concerning those who practice this social snobbery, who who really seek to bring the traditions of of the idolatrous feasts into the church to say to them, these are not the people who should be leading the way. We already know that the Corinthian... Uh, church was dealing with uh, this craving for power and recognition. And there are those who will come into the church because they are intoxicated by power and recognition, by notoriety. And so Paul is warning them of this danger. And he tells them that these things are happening so that the true leaders, those who are truly approved, it may be manifest, it may be revealed. So we go on in in our reading in verse number 20, or rather in verse, yes, in verse 20, when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. In other words, their motive, their purpose, although they may have claimed that it was to observe the Lord's Supper, was not to eat the Lord's Supper. Their purpose in coming together was to feast. They were turning the Lord's Supper into a time of revelry. And that is exactly, if you'll go with me to 2 Peter chapter number 2, that is exactly what Peter is warning them of, the, the, the believers in 2 Peter chapter number 2. So turn there with me, 2 Peter chapter number 2, and uh, we'll begin reading oh, around verse number Verse number 12, verse number 12. Let me make sure I'm in the right passage. I am. Let's go to verse 13. He says, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime, spots they are, and blemishes sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. So here he's saying there are people who are coming in and they're feasting with you as if they are a part of the church, but they are spots, they are blemishes. This is uh, very close to the language that Jude used in Jude verse 12. Verse 14, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of, of of Besor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. So here he's warning them of those who are unregenerate, those who crave power, those who crave authority, coming into the church and perverting the, the, the ordinances of the church from a time of respect and reverence and reflection, which is what the Lord's Supper is designed for, and remembrance of the Lord's body and his person, to a time of revelry, trying to turn the ordinance of the Lord's Supper into a feast like the pagan feasts of Corinth. So here we have, first of all, the problem addressed. And one thing that we must note here as we think about the church and our practices, the messages that we preach and and the hymns that we sing, the music that we sing, and, and the way that we fellowship together is that we must protect the purity of the church. We must protect the purity of the church. And we are not to adapt the world's methodology We are not to follow the trends of the world. We are not to seek to bring in the pagan practices of the world into the church of the living God. So the problem is addressed. The love feasts, he doesn't reprove them for the meals. He doesn't rebuke them because they had the meals. He is reproving them because they were turning the meals into a a sort of a display of, of their own wealth, they were not sharing uh, among the people, and it was causing strife and division in the church. So the problem addressed. Number two, the purpose explained. The purpose explained. What is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? We look in verse 23, and we have to understand the purpose and remember the purpose because that will help us in our practice knowing the purpose. Verse 23, "'For I have received of the Lord "'that which also I delivered unto you, "'that the Lord Jesus, the same night "'in which he was betrayed, took bread, "'and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, "'Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. "'This do,' notice these words, "'in remembrance of me.'" Verse 25, "'After the same manner also he took the cup "'when he had supped, saying, "'This cup is the New Testament in my blood. "'This do ye as oft as ye drink it.'" in remembrance of me. Verse 26, for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So what is the purpose of the Lord's Supper, this ordinance that has been given to us? There are two church ordinances, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And we are to observe both. And they both testify of this, the Lord's death, as we noted in verse 26. Ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, is a table of remembrance, lest we forget the sacrificial death of Christ. It is a memorial. We recently celebrated Memorial Day. Memorial Day is a day in which we stop, we pause, we take time to, to reflect upon those and remember those who died in service to our country, those who fought to purchase our freedom and died, and those who died to preserve our freedom. We honor their life. We honor their memory. That is the purpose. The purpose of the Lord's Supper is to remember the sacrifice that Christ made. Now, in the Old Testament, you have the Passover feast, and the Passover feast was instituted so that the Jews would remember that God had delivered them from Egyptian bondage, that the firstborn who was condemned to die was delivered by the blood of the Lamb. And they ate the Passover meal. They sacrificed the lamb. They they, they placed the blood uh, on the doorpost and on the lintel. They ate the Passover meal, and uh, each year they were commanded, the Jewish nation or the Israeli nation was commanded to observe the Lord's uh, or the Passover feast rather. And now this Passover feast, it, it is transitioning. It is it is it is 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 being transformed into not just the remembrance of how God delivered Israel from Egyptian bondage, but how that the Lord Jesus delivered us from the bondage of Satan and of our sin. And so we have the institution of the Lord's supper and Paul is explaining the purpose behind all of it here in these verses that we would show the Lord's death till he come. So he speaks of the bread in verse 24 And when he, that's the Lord Jesus, had given thanks, he broke it. That's the bread, the loaf of bread, the unleavened bread. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. So the bread signifies the body of Christ, which was broken for us. Then in verse 25, after the same manner, also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, this cup. It's the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it, in remembrance of me. So here we have the bread, which is his body broken for us, and we have the cup, which is speaks of his blood, which was shed for us. Of course, we know that the elements of the Lord's table are symbolic, not as the Catholic Church teaches, where uh, when you take the bread, it literally becomes the body of Christ. We reject that doctrine. This is symbolic, but it is an observance and remembrance that Christ's body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. And we're to commemorate this supper with frequency, with regularity. He says, as oft as ye drink it. And then he says in verse 4, for as often as ye eat this bread, verse 26 rather, as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he comes. So we remember his person and what he did for us in his sacrifice on the cross, and we remember the promise that he's made to us. What is the promise? That he is coming again. Our choir reminded us of that so wonderfully tonight. Jesus is coming again. So we do not serve a dead Savior, right? He is not dead. He is alive, and he is coming again. This is the purpose of of the lord's supper and so we have the problem addressed and then secondly uh, we have the purpose explained and then finally we see this the preparation required the preparation required Paul has addressed the problem of the Lord's Supper and the love feasts and how they were merging the two things and and adapting the practices of, of the Corinthian culture and the worship of their gods and the revelry that they were participating in. It it became a demonstration of who had the finest table and the finest food. There was no spirit of love and fellowship there. And then that was that that practice was was was. Uh, merging into their communion at the Lord's table and defiling the Lord's table. And so now Paul, warning them of the danger, tells them how that they can correct this problem and ensure that it doesn't happen again. So we go to verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So there's a warning here for us a warning. In the way that we approach the Lord's table, again, we should approach the Lord's table in a a spirit of reverence, in a spirit of remembrance of what the Lord did for us, and, and in a spirit of reflection of our personal lives and our relationship and our walk with Christ. So he says here, whosoever shall eat, this bread and drink this cup of the lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the lord but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup now let's talk about who qualifies to participate in the lord's supper because the truth be known none of us would would call ourselves worthy of the of the body and of the blood of christ so how are we made worthy because we're all sinners We are made worthy by nature of our faith in Christ. We are righteous not of our works, right? It's not of works of righteousness. In fact, all of our righteousness, the best we can do, is this filthy rags in the sight of God. So none of us can live righteous enough to earn merit with God. We are all sinners. But the way that we are made righteous is through the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is the payment for our sin. And the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ is imputed to our account. That is a a technical term, an accounting term. And, and, And so when I confess my sin and put my faith in Christ, then the Lord Jesus Christ becomes my Savior. He forgives me of my sin and my the record of my sin is removed as far as the east is from the west he remembers it against me no more and the record of his righteousness the righteous record of the son of God is imputed to my account so with all of the problems that I have what God sees in me is the righteousness of his son what a blessing he makes us worthy by nature of our relationship to him. He makes us worthy to fellowship and commune with him to observe his supper. So what does this mean, unworthily? Well, it speaks of the manner in which the supper was observed. We're not to approach it in some spirit of revelry, as many of the Corinthians were, feasting, demonstrating uh, their wealth and opulence through the lavish menu that they spread on their table. It's not to be, it's not to be observed um, to promote one's wealth and, and to neglect the needs of others. It is a common table. Remember, the church in Acts, they had all things common. They, they broke bread daily you see, the Corinthian church had violated the very spirit of the, of the Acts 2 church, the church at Jerusalem. And so he's speaking here of the way in which the supper was conducted. John Phillips says it this way, We are not to participate at the Lord's table lightly or flippantly. Since the celebration of the Lord's Supper followed the fellowship meal, it is evident that some at Corinth were actually participating while intoxicated. Imagine that. So they were not coming to the Lord's table with an attitude of reverence and respect and in the spirit of remembrance. And there's a danger to all of that. They shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, notice that in verse 28, examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. When we come to the Lord's table and we remember what the Lord did for us, that his body was broken for us, that his blood was shed for us, then we are to examine ourselves. We're to examine our relationship with the Lord. We're to examine our own hearts and the sinfulness of it. Let me again quote John Phillips. He says this, there should be a measure of heart searching. Is there any unconfessed sin in my life? Does anyone have anything against me? Am I walking in fellowship with the Lord in the light of His Word? John reminds us that none of us is free from sin, and that means to deal with it is readily available. So it is a time of reflection for us in examination as we come to the Lord's table. We should do so with a heart of reflection. What is our relationship with the Lord like? Is there any sin that needs to be confessed? Is there any sin in our life that needs to be cleansed? Do we need to be made right with God or right with our brothers? So there's examination, then there is sanctification. That's the cleansing of that sin. As God deals with us as we confess it, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so he says in verse 28, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat. There's participation, participation. There's examination. What's my relationship with the Lord and my my fellow believers? My sanctification, am I right with him? Am I dealing with these problems that are revealed in this examination? And now once that has taken place, then participation. I can eat of the Lord's Supper. Now again, Paul gives this warning. Verse 29, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning The Lord's body. Now, if this is an unbeliever that is participating in the Lord's Supper, and again, there were unbelievers, no doubt, in the congregation, then these unbelievers are under the condemnation of sin and judgment. But if this is a believer, then this believer will not be damned to hell. That's not what the passage is teaching. But this believer is under judgment, and so Paul explains this in verse 30. For this cause, because there are people who are, who are, are, are coming to the Lord's table and, and participating in the Lord's table unworthily, for this cause many are weak and sickly among you. And God here is chastening and dealing with those who are coming to the Lord's table unworthily. Even to the point, he says, in many sleep. That means they died. They died. Now, if we don't believe that, that God did that, all we have to do is turn back to Acts chapter 5, right? Because we have a record where he did that, where two people pretended to do something that they really hadn't done, all in order to promote themselves so that they would be esteemed in the church. Well, what's happening here? What's causing the division? People want to be esteemed in the church. Verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves, here's the key, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened to the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Again, this damnation is speaking of here is the judgment of God upon our sin. It is not our condemnation to hell because he says the fact that this is happening reveals to us that we should not be condemned with the world. So the warning then is if we would judge, or the word of correction, the word of admonition, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Now, we're very good at judging other people, right? I mean, we've got a doctor's degree in it. I think we were born with that. We're really good at pointing out the the problems of other people, but we are pretty inept at looking at our own, right? And may God help us to understand that the problems that we have reside mainly within our own hearts. And instead of pointing out all the problems that other people have, let's be honest with the Lord and deal with our own hearts and judge ourselves. John Phillips tells the story of Alan Redpath. You'll remember uh, Alan Redpath's name. I've quoted him often in our study of the life of David. He wrote the book, The Making of the Man of God, which is a study of the life of David. And in this story, he says, Alan Redpath was staying in a home where there were two boys. He was an itinerant preacher. And one night, the family went off to the service, leaving the boys home alone on their promise to be good. We've all made that promise, haven't we? When they arrived back, a strange silence reigned over the house. They called the boys, but there was no answer. They went into the living room, and there on the table was a pile of broken pieces and a note. The note said Dear Mom and Dad, we broke your vase. We're very sorry. We have put ourselves to bed without any supper. Signed, Jimmy and Joe. <laughs> Redpath asked, what do you think the father did? Do you think he rushed upstairs? Got those kids out of bed and spanked them? No, he didn't. He, he, he understood that they had judged themselves. And because they had judged themselves, they were spared the judgment of their father. And the truth of the matter is, if we'll learn to do that ourselves... We'll save ourselves from great heartaches, won't we? So let's take an honest look into the mirror of the Word of God. How is our attitude? What pride resides within? What part of us wants to be accepted by the world and and to be esteemed by other people? Those are the seeds of pride in our heart. What part of us wants to participate in the revelry and the debauchery of the system of this world and its idolatry. That resides within the heart of every one of us if we're honest, if we're open. It's within us all, those seeds of rebellion, the the appetites for the carnal things that Titus mentioned this morning in Titus chapter three as we read those things. It resides within us and as we come to the Lord's table on a regular basis, It gives us an opportunity to examine our own hearts. And as our hearts are revealed to us, the sin in us, the attitudes, the indifference, the apathy, the carnal divisions, the the strife that we allow uh, toward or with our fellow believer, as God deals with that and reveals that to us, we have a responsibility to confess that to him and be cleansed and come to the Lord's table in our right relationship with the Lord Jesus and remember and reflect upon what he's done for us. And so Paul closes with this admonition in verse 33, wherefore my brethren, when you come together to eat tarry one for another, what does he mean here? In other words, instead of spreading out your stuff and saying, man, doesn't this look good? And (laughs) this is just for us. No, you put your your food on the common table and you let everybody else go first. You know, when we have our fellowship Sundays, what's the most popular table in the gymnasium? <laughs> the dessert table. And, eh, you know, people are lining up and they want to get their dessert, right? And uh, we have a joke about that and we have a good time talking about that. And, um, but Paul is saying don't do that. That's what he's saying. In other words, let everybody else go first before you go. All of you folks who think you should be first in line, here's what you should understand, that you are to prefer one another in love. That's the spirit of the love feast. Tarry one for another. Let's make sure that everybody's needs are being met. Imagine the poor people in Corinth. That may have been the only good meal they got all week. Most likely it was. That'd be the only time some of those children would ever get to taste steak or roast beef or grandma's biscuits, homemade from scratch, right? Because they didn't eat that on a regular basis. This is what he's saying. Don't be concerned about yourself be concerned for others. Let's promote a spirit of love and preferential treatment one for the other. Verse 34, and if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. The point of these feasts is not to, 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 to uh, feed your face. It is to share and show love and have fellowship with one another and then you come together in the right spirit and observe the lord's table fellowship and communion we must be careful to protect and preserve the ordinances of the lord not to allow the philosophies of this world or of uh, of the secular uh, mindset of a nation that says, can all you get and get all you get all you can and can all you get. That's not to characterize the church. Remember the loving kindness that we need to demonstrate one for another. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com.